What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back. My name is Tom Zayas, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus Basketball. And Tim, before we jump into uh, our topic of the day, the Western Conference Finals Game 2 reaction, I just want to get a little housekeeping out of the way. We are going to be uh, changing our name here to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. Everybody got the Apple feed up as of this morning. It should be live by the time you are hearing this. So we'll be sharing that. And please follow, share, subscribe, all those things, you know, uh, give us a shout out. But we're happy to be the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I think it's a fitting title for the perfect team for it. I think our type of analysis can fit right into that. We We try to or I don't know, you try to be more on the optimistic side. I, I get yelled at all the time by people who are like, you're not a real Laker fan or huh. why, are you such a, why are you such a LeBron hater, different things like that. But we'll, 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 I don't know, we'll give you how it is. Uh, yeah, the LeBron but, haters podcast was taken, actually. So um, <laughs> we couldn't go with that one. Yeah. Oh, well, I like this name. I, I feel like uh, for, for a little bit, we were in a little bit of limbo. We got some feedback suggestions from people. For about a week there, we had a Washington football team sort of situation, but Got got the branding figured out. Have a, a new sick logo that we'll be using. So I'm I'm excited to move forward with that. And this, I hope everybody's been enjoying uh, getting these podcasts. Hopefully, we'll be able to get them up early and earlier as we go along. This was an idea that we were just texting about what like less than a week ago, a week ago. Yeah, and like four just days kind of ago. put this together. Yeah, like just very much not quite on the fly, but. We didn't have the feeds up, uh, but once we get all those logistics taken care of, have the name taken care of, all of that, excited to go along with everyone. Keep this, keep this up. Keep talking playoffs. Talk off season next year. All of that stuff. So I'm, I'm. But hey, let's not forget tonight. That was such an incredible game. Such a great finish. I feel as though I celebrated less than a lot of people because I was just a little steaming at some of the way that we were playing. Sure, sure. Um, it was more relief than exuberance for me. The fact that it was in the bubble instead of in Staples Center took a, a little bit away from it. But this, just the celebrations from the guys was just so, so cool to see and focus on and look at all the videos afterwards of like J.R. Smith's head popping up, just smiling or uh, uh, Taylor Horton Tucker getting like kneed or kicked, uh, all, all kinds of great stuff. Yeah, holy Anthony Davis, right? And how great was it that he confirmed he mouthed Kobe? I thought he did. I didn't want to be that guy putting it on Twitter and being wrong, but uh, I, I was just, how do you not love this team? You know, and it's it's more than just the amazing superstar play from LeBron in the first half and Anthony Davis in the second half. But, you know, seeing Taylor Horton Tucker getting bowled over and seeing like Markeith Morris pushing Danny Green out of excitement. You know, these guys just have so much love and chemistry playing together. It's like one of these L.A. teams were who the media thought the other L.A. team was in reality. So I have a lot of reactions kind of I agree. I with I'm with you where that end of the game was very frustrating and I thought we deserved to lose that. I still think Lakers will sweep probably, but this kind of lended more credence to my pick of Lakers in five, because we saw how the Lakers could, you know, get in a funk on offense in, in the fourth quarter. And we'll go through this, but let's kind of start first with the nuggets. And we talked a lot last pod about the Jamal Murray Jokic pick and roll, how we were switching that uh, and how we expected the Nuggets to adjust and really punish maybe Jokic in the post on those switch uh, mismatches. But first, let's get into Jamal Murray. I counted on his um, pick and roll 
possessions, including pass outs, that he had 15 points on 15 possessions. Now, that's about one point. That is one point per possession. That's pretty good. What did you see from the coverage in the Lakers and how we defended Murray in those situations? I saw that the Lakers actually tried to do a bit more of a catch hedge or a harder hedge where the big was at the level of the ball. And what the Lakers would try to do was get the guard to recover back to Murray. So then the big can go back to Jokic. Uh, we, we saw something from Murray that we haven't really seen much of this postseason. And I tweeted out about it and, and got a little bit of pushback saying, you know, Dame Lillard should be taking a look at this film and, and watching how Jamal Murray is operating in these pick and rolls because we ran a similar coverage against him, but he turned that uh, and Dame Lillard just kind of dealt with it. Whereas Jamal Murray took that hard hedge and really strung it out and would either either just probe a little bit or get it out to the side a little bit, just enough that with uh, the defense the way they were, they would be able to force a switch. There was only one time that LA gave just an automatic switch on the ball screen where Murray's man didn't try to recover to him, and that was a guard-guard pick and roll. But every other time, we were trying to have that guy recover and get in front, and I think for good reason. You know, Dwight and JaVale, they're not the, the fleetest of foot, uh, but, you know, they've held their own a, a little bit against Murray and enough so that, you know, with the efficiency numbers that you mentioned, not all that bad all overall. But uh, it was interesting to me to see L.A. try to start with that hard hedge. And, and they did successfully a number of times. But Murray did a good job of drawing that out and turning that into a switch. And we saw him attack a little bit. We saw Jokic attack switches. And we'll talk about Jokic in a bit. But I, I think that LA did a decent enough job. And if we just look at the the score overall for a lot of this game, the Lakers did a pretty good job defending these actions and not getting too many of the role players involved. If we look at just specifically handoffs, which was the other big Jamal Murray thing that's similar to a pick and roll. He had 11 in the game. Most of them were in the second half and LA just shut those down for the most part. So of his two key ways, he's going to hurt you. LA did a pretty good job. Jokic was his own story, but I think there were some bright spots there as well. And while I left this game thinking that LA got away with one, it was more the issues that we had on the offensive end rather than the defensive end that really had me concerned for games three, four, and five, if we get to five. Right, right. We'll, we'll talk about the offense here in a little bit, but keeping on Mur the Murray point, Comparing him to Dame, I think they, their games are a little bit different, right? Dame is a lot more methodical and he's not as twitchy with the ball, I think. He's not going to like beat you with constant stop starts the way Murray does. So when Murray kind of snakes around that pick, he's going to give you a hard dribble going to the basket and then stop like he's going to step back. And that gets JaVale or Dwight or AD even to step out a little bit further to contest. And then he just left to right dribbles right back to a strong hand going to the basket. You know, that's three moves in a split second that makes those defenders like, you know, guess each time Dame can do that, but it's not as quickly, right? He's more methodical. He's going to get that ball up a lot smoother instead of just making these like cuts. And, you know, he doesn't need to, for some of those, he can just pull mm -hmm. up and shoot over anybody. But Murray was, I thought, missing a lot of his really really open looks on those step backs so yeah when kcp's fighting over the screen well fighting he might be a little generous to be honest because he was dying on some of those as well as caruso or just getting you know full-on screened in the chest and not being able to really recover and but Murray would, you know, you got Howard and McGee kind of dropping back and he's just going to step back and shoot that three. And he had that shot a couple different times and he didn't make it. So I expect him to shoot a lot better on his like uh, pick and roll pull ups next game because he missed, I think, all three of his like wide open looks on that. And they're just forcing him into more mid rangers. You know, mm -hmm. Dwight's dropping really, really deep uh, to a kind of help on Jokic on the roll. And to just make Murray beat him going to the basket and not letting him get around him when he goes up too far. And, you know, like I said, uses those dribble moves. So Dwight's just dropping hard, right? So Murray's going to have that pull up when he wants it, when, when Dwight's in the game, at least. Um, and JaVale, you know, he's, he's going to pull him out and, and toy with JaVale every time he gets that opportunity, if the Lakers are going to switch the way they are. Um, so 
another kind of common action that Murray uses that he was a little bit more efficient on this game was his handoffs. It's effectively a pick and roll, right? It's just, you kind of call it a different name, but Jokic is great at this. So is Plumlee. They dribble at you kind of signaling that, Hey, I'm going to set this screen. You kind of curl hard and Jokic, uh, excuse me, Murray had eight points on six possessions in the dribble handoff. How is that play getting him open, getting him going downhill to at least have a chance. We saw him get some scoop ability in this game to get past the Lakers front line. How, how can the Lakers adjust to that action? That's one where with the way that we're lining up, I, I think you would rather have our guards go under while the big show is hard and don't let him turn the corner, have the guard behind uh, ready to bump that roll man. So he can't roll to the rim immediately and then try to have both guys recover. That's what I would be looking to do. I think LA just got caught chasing him a little bit and he was able to attack our bigs. He had that one really nice scoop on JaVale. I think my numbers were the same as yours in the pick and roll. I had him slightly less efficient in handoff situations, but overall it was something that at least in the first half we shut down pretty well. And the second half is where they went to it more. We're able to get more advantages from it. Um, It's not one where he creates a ton for his teammates, but it is something that, I don't know, it's it's going to happen. But the thing is, if he scores one point per possession or, or just above that on low volume with this action, I don't think that's going to be something that kills the Lakers in these games moving forward. Another thing last pod we talked about was Jokic in the post. And these plays are connected because when they get the switch on the big on Murray, this is, you know, we just talked about how Murray's attacking him, but every other time they'll dump it into the post on Jokic because the Lakers are switching so easily, too easily for my liking. I mentioned that before I stand by it. It's very frustrating to see them switching these BS half screens on, you know, inbounds plays and getting a mismatch on Jokic and on Caruso, but we'll get into that right now. Okay. So I counted um, some of Jokic's post-ups, including pass outs, right? 23 points, 15 possessions. That is ouch. And a lot of that is because we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten possessions against a mismatch for Jokic. So I only counted five possessions where AD, JaVale, or Dwight were the primary defenders, and they gave up six points on those five possessions, which is a lot better. So what are the Lakers giving up when they're switching so easily to the Nuggets? How is that the right strategy or should they be trying to fight harder over screens? What do you think about the, that coverage? I think that with the way that Murray is, I don't know. I I think I would disagree with you. I, I don't know that. I know that the Lakers are giving up a lot of switches. I wouldn't say that they're doing so in some sort of willy nilly fashion. I, I think a lot of them are because Jokic is popping and if they do want to have that guard recover back to Murray, he's he's getting himself 10 or 15 feet away from Jokic enough so that that's a quick pass over to Jokic for an open three, which is something that LA has really focused on trying to take away. Or if you send another guy from, I don't know, the weak side over to the top of the key to take away that from Jokic, then it's a, a quick, easy pass from him to, I don't know, Gary Harris in the corner or something like that. My tracking was a little bit different for this as well. I think there were a couple times that Jokic got the ball in the post, but he didn't get a shot off. Um, and, and I think that made the efficiency go a bit down more more for, for my numbers than yours. I had 23 where he had the ball, 11 of those 23 against Dwight, AD, or JaVale, and he had nine points on those. Uh, in the other 12 that were mismatches, he had... 15 points but nine of those 15 points were on three pass outs where the lakers doubled and on the other nine possessions he only had six points and i thought caruso did a pretty good job holding his own i thought danny green did a good job because it's just they're, they're stronger guys kcp was getting bowled over rajan rondo was getting back down pretty easily but each of them actually forced a turnover so overall the efficiency for him attacking a laker big from what i caught was about 0.64 which is incredible for la Against mismatches, it was about 0.67. But on the pass outs that he had, he was scoring, or Denver was scoring about a point and a half. One thing that we talked about before this game was the ratio for Jokic between passing and scoring. And we wanted him to be more of a scorer than a passer. In this game, we saw his six, he had 16 scoring possessions, seven passing possessions. 
he scored about the same number of points on both. But that, I, I think that speaks to the fact that LA did a decent job against him when he was trying to score. But when we did double, and sometimes we doubled for good reason because he was getting Rajon Rondo or, or Alex Crusoe under the rim, he, he was able to burn us with those. So we had spoken a little bit before about smarter ways to try to double because I don't know with, with him or LeBron these are guys who are just incredible passers but you have to be realistic about the passes they can and can't make and the guys they can see or can't see if he's facing up like he was during I think two of the three doubles that we sent we're going to get burned every time this is what the Clippers did he killed them with it he's going to kill us with it trying to get him to put the ball on the court and turn baseline and then sending help might bode better for LA um, I, we did a couple things before the catch that I thought were really smart in this game, one of them, uh, and, and we'd spoken last pod about how Jokic had been killing LA's small ball lineups. This game, when we played small, and he had KCP or Alex Caruso on him, several times we would front him. And what that means is the defensive player, that smaller guy, gets directly in front of Jokic. So if you do want to get the ball to Jokic, you kind of have to lob it over his head. And, you know, he can make that catch. But what you do is you have a guy on the weak side. So I think one time it was AD, one time it was Kyle Kuzma, where if they do lob that ball up, they're in that weak side position, able to jump up and, and contest that catch. Or if that skip pass goes, that, that's the same defender, they would have to cover that ground and, and go cover the opposite corner. But having those guys with more hops, being able to contest those, or if you have somebody who isn't going to be able to contest that, what you want to have them do is similar to how Denver had a guy in position when like how Kuzma committed that charge on a roll. You just, if Jokic is going to catch that lob pass, he's not going to be able to stop himself from just rolling you over. If you're standing right outside the charge circle, waiting to take that charge. So LA did that. They did that with success. We saw some off ball switches when he tried to walk down a mismatch uh, before he had the ball. One thing that we saw that was new to this game was a switch Pretty much as the ball was being passed to him, KCP scrambled out, JaVale scrambled in, and in like the one second it took for the ball to go from Murray's hands to Jokic's hands, we turned it from no mismatch, or I'm sorry, from a mismatch to no mismatch. He still made the shot, but I, I would love to see more of that. Um, and something that we didn't see this game, but we saw last game sparingly, was uh, having a temporary double team sent to him and then having that guard scram out of there. So those are what four or five different things that the Lakers could try to do to prevent him from getting balls in advantageous situations they fit with different scenarios based on who's guarding him where the big man might be but trying to make life difficult for him pre-catch will be a big key and that's something LA did pretty well and we saw those adjustments so then what Denver did later in the game was they would have him seal and bury guys on the perimeter instead of from the low post and some of his only real post-up scores were from those uh, perimeter entries where he was able to get the ball without any of that, any of those shenanigans going on. And then he could back his guy down once he already had them on him. But overall, I thought LA came to this game with a pretty good game plan to, to defend these. And then we saw Denver adjust to that and them pick up the scoring a bit. But I still think that we held our own pretty well. And if we can either not double team and, and live with him trying to shoot uh, or, or, you know, take charges or go for steals against Rondo and KCP and Caruso, we might be in a better position than if we just give up open threes and cuts by double teaming him. But overall, I was pretty happy with the ratio, his efficiency, and the way LA approached this game. So I I hear you. I, I think that what you really want to do is drop more personally because I want Jamal Murray to shoot these pull-up threes off the dribble and make him make these shots. Like... I, again, I thought he was the key to the, the Nuggets offense in, you know, the preview that we did. And I think making him try to be that score. Listen, he was missing open shots. Keep making him take those shots. Um, but I still think that the Lakers are. Yeah, I I hear you. I just think the Lakers are switching too easily. They're not fighting over screens hard enough. They're they're kind of soft hedging, like you're calling it a hard hedge, but they're not really getting all the way out there to Murray. So that pull-up's been there when he wants it anyway. So to me, like Jokic battling Caruso down low, Rondo, KCP, Danny Green. Like I said, that I'm looking at through synergy at these 15 possessions of Jokic in the post. 
and they're all they're all mismatches and he he just roasted us on him he got position he got only a couple possessions where he actually bullied ad javel or dwight and either got a foul or a layup and you live with that you want that's where you want them so you make Jokic beat your big men and make murray be the star because i'm still on the fence as to whether or not he can be that guy and be Damian Lillard. But um, no, so- I, I think I agree with you a little bit. I, I think you're turning me to your side. And something that I took a look at before the series was what does Jamal Murray shoot on these pull-up mid-range twos? And what does he shoot on his pull-up threes in the regular season versus the playoffs? And at, at B-Ball Index, we have a badge system similar to 2K where you might be, I don't know, you, you're a box-out guru because you box out really well. Or you're really good at hitting corner threes, so you're a corner three specialist. One of Jamal Murray's badges is the fact that he's just an incredibly streaky player. He was in the silver category. And we, over the playoffs so far, have kind of seen the high end of what he can do with those. And he's hitting, he was hitting like 45% or so on pull-up threes and a really high percentage on pull-up twos. But over that much larger regular season sample, he was more of like a 33% pull-up three-point shooter and, and a much more pedestrian pull-up two-point shooter. So do you play him like the scary monster he looks like he's been over the past couple rounds or do we think he's gonna fall back down to normal and if you think that he'll regress a bit and and we talked in our pre-series pod he had a d three-point shot making raid same as as Nikola Jokic if you do drop like you're suggesting you're gonna give up those shots and you're gonna give up the Jokic pop but those are guys that if you just look at those bigger picture numbers and you trust in that 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 is the poison you may want to pick as opposed to allowing those switches and then giving up those post mismatches. I, I don't want to jump on you too much or, or pressure you too much, but these are the these are tough questions, and it's one or the other. And I think LA's fighting pretty well, and I think some of those tactics we talked about, if they use them as much as they can, can make it worth it to switch. But if if Jokic is able to get these easy switches and then back down those smaller guys, th- that's probably better offense for Denver. And then, you know, when we double team, that's easy offense for them. They're the best team in the league at attacking those post double teams. So if that's the end game, I can get behind an approach of trying to drop more, scrambling to recover to Murray, and then either living with a Jokic pick and pop three or having an extra guy come over to him and then running a scramble drill the way lo- the Lakers did against Houston or, or against Portland, where we use our length, we use our athleticism, and we try to recover to those situations. It's close. I mean, the Lakers won two games, and the second one they probably stole, you know. But uh, one of the things we talked about last pod that did come to fruition was the P.J. Dozier increase of minutes. I was cracking up that you, you know, learned – we're able to promote and do a really good job of figuring out who PJ Dozier was based on, you know, the, all the stuff that you've put together to rate and, and analyze these players. But we saw exactly what you described, not even having really seen the guy or knowing his scouting report, he's limited on offense. You know, he's got some playmaking ability. They do that, you know, kind of pick and roll with Plumlee where he's gotten a few lobs in this series so far, mm-hmm. but He's not going to be able to hurt you. He's got a little bit more size attacking guys like Anthony Davis and JaVale than Monte Morris. So he can get a shot at the rim, but you know, he's limited on offense, but he gives you a lot more on defense, which is what Denver needed in a a fourth quarter comeback last night. So what did you see from PJ Dozier actually having seen him play some crunch time minutes in the playoffs? Yeah. So you, you called this time, you a hundred percent, called this one. This was such a good call by you. Again, I didn't know who the guy was. I'm not going to take any credit for it. Uh, I did my very quick 90 second scouting report while you were talking last pod to get up to speed. Thankfully, our data at B-Ball Index is is pretty good. And you can, I mean, what's happening is what we thought would happen. Uh, But absolutely great call by you. I think once he was entered into the game, we saw a couple different things from him. We saw the pick and roll facilitating, like you talked about. Monte Morris and uh, Gary Harris did not play in the fourth quarter. He instead played all of those minutes. And throughout the game, Harris and Morris had been getting occasional pick and rolls or handoffs. And we saw that instead go go to Dozier, who in our metrics is a much better uh, facilitator in terms of being able to make versatile 
maybe more difficult passes and read the defense. And we saw that play out. We saw the one lob he threw. We saw, and that was against one of those catch harder hedges, not quite a hard hedge, but a catch hedge where his guy got behind it and he threw that lob. Perfect pass. We saw on another time where LA ran drop coverage. So the lob's not there, but uh, he read it, his big read it. And he actually made a, if you go look at it, he made a no look behind the back pass on the money for a pick and pop. Um, so two excellent plays just to showcase what he can do in that regard. And then the other thing he brought was just the ability to get to the rim. And he drew a couple fouls. He had two drives in transition. Uh, one of them, he went like right at Anthony Davis. There was another time spotting up where he was against AD, Anthony Davis and AD had him, you know, in good position. And he drove right past him and got to the rim. Uh, so I think that's something that, in our data, you can see he, he's got a better getting to rim rating, finishing at rim rating than Gary Harris. And we saw that little boost that they got. The third thing that we talked about last pod was the defensive versatility. And we saw that as well. We saw him out there defending multiple positions. Um, the guy he was like, if you're replacing Monte Morris or, or Gary Harris, those are different calibers of defenders. But even Harris, who's been a, an excellent caliber impact guy you're only taking a small step back with dozier but you're getting a more versatile athlete that's probably better off for this series and this matchup and we saw him take a charge on lebron we saw him block lebron um i don't want to uh gush over a uh, opposing team player all that much but great call by you i i was i felt way more prepared for those moments and i didn't have to do that last minute scouting during the game because because we had uh done it on the pod but uh excellent call and he, he turned out to be a difference maker. So I would anticipate we see a little bit more of him next game instead of just, what did he get? He only played, yeah, he only played really in the, at the end of the third quarter and in the entire fourth quarter. I bet we see some of him, some of him starting from the fourth, uh, I'm sorry, first quarter next game uh, in moving forward. Yeah, it was kind of weird that he got that full stretch in the fourth. I think he earned some of it, but you at some point got to be like, okay, nice job, kid. But Gary Harris is a, a real NBA defender. And Gary Harris has been awful on offense this series. So maybe he thought PJ could be that kind of secondary ball handler like we've talked about as, as Murray gets a couple of possessions off or Jokic gets a possession off. And, and Dozier played... Okay. I I think Morris got a little bit better of a shift in the second than I, I thought he would. So yeah, if you kind of take some of those Morris minutes away in the second, you can easily give them to Dozier, uh, especially the ones where LeBron's on the floor. It kind of gives you another little bit longer guy to really get in this Lakers small ball lineup, which mm -hmm. I think we should talk about at some point as well. Their, their lack of success with the small ball lineup and, and their rotations in general. Um, so I guess, yeah, just really quickly, what did you think about that? Dwight Howard only played like just under 13 minutes, JaVale just under 12. They didn't start Dwight like I hoped they would. I, I'm just kind of at a loss as to why they keep playing half the game as the small ball minutes and they're not really doing that well. Yeah, it, it was something that I think you made the right call last pod saying that we should start Dwight. I am now fully in support of that idea. I was a little bit on the fence last time. I, I thought I could understand the idea of, you know, throwing a couple bodies at Jokic. And then by the time Dwight gets in there, he's a little tired. But I think we should really just be starting Dwight. I, I don't like how frequently Jokic was able to play against Lakers small ball, which we talked about as being that one area that Denver just dominated last game, but we saw it on only seven minutes. So for the bottom line at the end of the game uh, with, with the final score, it didn't end up mattering all that much. But this game, we saw it matter because he wasn't in foul trouble as nearly as much. And he was just able to go out there, play his minutes and kill that small ball. So that is something that just from that perspective, I think that is, is something advocating on Dwight's behalf. If you look at, from just from a defensive standpoint, Dwight has been our best defender on Jokic in the post. Uh, in the four possessions that I saw throughout the entire game that Dwight was defending Jokic, he forced a turnover. There was a miss two. There was one time he got the ball, couldn't even, he tried a couple moves, couldn't get a shot off, kicked it back out. That's not even going to pop up on Synergy because um, mm -hmm. he just completely shut him down. 
And then a fourth time he did draw that shooting foul that I would say wasn't, there wasn't all that much contact, but we're not in a position to complain too much about about Dwight. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, Dwight, man, your your shoulders are so broad that I couldn't give it without you just kind of being in the way. So overall, though, he did a great job. When Dwight has been on the court, the Lakers' uh, defensive rating has been, oh goodness, let me try to find the stat. I tweeted it out earlier. They're like 40 points per 100 possessions better than when he sat, which is by far, it is it is number one on this team. That is just an incredible number. Um, and then on the offensive end, if you look at the Lakers with Dwight versus without Dwight, they've actually also been better offensively with Dwight out there. So there isn't really much to say that, you know, Dwight isn't helping us, he should play less. I, th- I think that would be just misreading everything. If you look at the Lakers' top two-man rotations, six of the top eight two-man lineups have Dwight in them. 13 of the top 18 three-man lineups have Dwight in them. Seven of the top eight four-man lineups have Dwight in them. And our two best five-man lineups of like the six we've played that have at least played five minutes have Dwight in them. It's, it's just incredible. When you look at from a rebounding standpoint, Denver is offensive rebounding 50% of their misses this series when Markeith Morris is on the floor. That's, that's wow. awful. That's terrible. Overall, yeah. they're at 32%. But when Dwight's out there, it's 11%. When Dwight and AD are out there together, it's 4%. And then on the other end, when we look at uh, L.A. grabbing offensive rebounds, we're at 33% of grabbing our own misses when Dwight's out there uh, with only and, and then only 19% with Morris out there, which is the worst of any Lakers. So from a rebounding standpoint, from a defense standpoint, and then also from an offense standpoint, when we look at the, the spacing and, and I just tweeted out a big long thread of like a dozen times in the second half that Denver stopped respecting our three point shooting, packed the paint up. And, you know, just having that guy who theoretically should be hitting threes out there doesn't mean anything if you can't make any functional use of it. So this series in particular is one that I think we should really be playing Dwight as much as we can. And my my game plan would be start him, have him mirror Jokic's minutes as much as he possibly can until he's gassed um, and needs a breather. And, and he fouls out when he fouls out. If that's after 15 minutes which isn't a lot of time, that's already pretty much the max that we've gotten from him so far. While I mean, at least you can put JaVale in then, right? Exactly. You can put JaVale in then, he'll be with the starter shift. Out, then then you're, you're going to blow him out. Um, so yeah. you, this is, you shouldn't be scared of fouling out. I, I don't think, we didn't even play him at the end of the game anyway. Um, yeah. You might as well have him playing the most he can and know it's the most he can because he fouls out with eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. And, and if it does end up getting you 25 minutes of Dwight, then we're probably in really good shape because we've been dominant when he has been in there. The one thing against him has been the fouls, obviously, and the fact that Denver's uh, rate of free throws to field goal attempts when Dwight has been out there is the highest among any Laker player. So there is that potential weakness there, but overall it's been a, a huge benefit to LA offensively, defensively, and rebounding. So I want to clarify a little bit about JaVale because I, I did say that he was a little unplayable. I think I want to take that back. I think that's gone a little too far. But one of my issues is, you know, he he played hard. He got some offensive rebounds. You know, he did do some some shot contesting at the rim to change a couple like Paul Millsap, Gary Harris drives. So he did things that were positive on the court. But one of the things that is so hard to watch is when they force the ball to him on offense in both shifts, you know, the KCP lob was a nice look and he had an opening, but LeBron tried to force a lob to him. That kind of caused him to, you know, have to throw the ball in to save it. He was just being forced into the pick and roll with LeBron. And he's, he's not going to be able to get that pocket pass and finish in, in stride, you know? So they picked it off a couple times. Even it's they, the forcing JaVale, into the offensive game plan instead of letting it come naturally by mm-hmm. making Jokic be the help defender when he's in the dunker spot. Do you know what I'm saying? If you want to start JaVale, then you start the game with like five straight Anthony Davis, LeBron James pick and rolls. And you make Jokic be the weak side defender for a little bit and just blob, blob, mm-hmm. blob, blob. Yeah. You know, every time either it's Anthony Davis or it's JaVale, well, they cannot contest your verticality. Yeah, and, and the reason why him in the pick and roll has worked a little bit less than we'd hope is because Denver is playing drop coverage against him. And if Anthony mm-hmm. Davis is the one setting that ball screen, you can just have him pop and, and we're happy with that. So Denver has an easy counter for JaVale in there when he's the ball, uh, when, when he's the screener in the ball screen. But if he's weak side, like you said, 
those, those are open dunks. Um, he missed a couple bunnies. Yeah. LA as a team today was 0 for 7 on putbacks, which is horrific. It's crazy. Um, yeah. We, from our pick and roll ball handlers, we had more turnovers than points. We scored less than 0.4 points per possession from those guys, 0.57 from our roll men, including some of those missed lobs, um, and only five points on four pass outs. But I, I think despite all of that, JaVale clearly, to me at least, has a say in 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 these minutes and or not has a say but he he should be playing some of these minutes i think certainly over morris and what Mm -hmm. you want to do is just recognize that he's probably going to get beat by murray on the perimeter so Mm -hmm. if earlier we were kind of on the fence about whether or not we should be switching or playing drop coverage if we're looking at javel as the personnel there maybe we say you know what let's just play drop we're not going to have javel need to defend on the on the perimeter if we give up a pick and pop we'll, we'll rotate we'll scramble we'll deal with it but that would be a way to prevent the post mismatches, and that would be a way to prevent JaVale from needing to defend in space, which we saw uh, Jamal Murray abuse a couple times. And I think that is the root cause of when you previously had said he's unplayable, and, and that directly relates to the coverage that we're playing. So if we can put him in a coverage better suited to him, right. offensively, I think he has value. Defensively, I think you add more value than you already have, um, and that makes it so Jokic, instead of facing... I don't know, half of his post-ups in a mismatch, instead of 50%, it might be 20% or 10% or 25%. I mean, to your point, the Lakers had an 88 defensive rating when he's on the court. The problem's the offense, an 80 offensive rating when he's on the court, as opposed to, as you mentioned before, Dwight Howard is 126.9 offensive rating, mm-hmm. you know, and the defense gets a little better too at 85.2. Just yep. we mentioned how good Dwight's been, but JaVale's defense isn't really the issue. He's still being that anchor, that extra rim protector on defense that the Lakers used him for this whole season. But I wonder if they can't, you know, a few minutes in, if it's not working on offense, I'm telling you, like nine minute mark, yank him and get Dwight in there. Right. You know what I mean? Jokic just got a little bit in, like, yeah, get Dwight on him like right away. And I don't think that people should look at these ratings and say, okay, this hasn't worked. Time to bench a player. Instead of that, you should look at it and say, okay, we're not making, like, we're not scoring better with JaVale in, in the game. Maybe that's because we're, we're using him incorrectly, or maybe it's something Denver's doing with our ball screen coverages. How can we counter what they're doing? We saw Denver go under a lot of ball screens, which didn't let LeBron get downhill, which makes those pocket passes even harder. And when they're mm-hmm. playing drop coverage, JaVale isn't going to be able to hit those lobs. So that's not the situation to make the most of him. And we saw LA just kind of try to force it. And that's just not going to work long term. So making those simple tweaks, getting him off the ball, or if Denver is going under screens, we saw them flip a couple of screens, which JaVale did do several times. And it did let LeBron get downhill. So LA kind of figured out that tweak, used it, and it worked better. Or using LeBron off of handoffs. So instead of him dribbling side to side, and by his player going under the screen, he's being given that open three-point pull-up. But we've seen for three rounds in a row, he's not willing to take that with any consistency and his footwork is off and off. So if instead Mm -hmm. of him dribbling back and forth, you can have him kind of run off that handoff and hop into the best shooting position for him, knowing that the defense is going to go under that screen, then he's in a better position and he'll shoot a higher percentage on those threes. This is something that we saw LA do against Houston in the regular season that I did a video about. And then attacking downhill rather than side to side with the ball screens. If you can use step-up ball screens along the sideline. Remember those ones we used to run with Luke Walton where mm-hmm. we would just have LeBron or, or Brandon Ingram often just dribble up the sideline and you immediately get a switch. And if you don't yeah. get a switch, you have a driving lane to the basket. That would get switches. That would let his uh, ball screen, uh, the ball handler defender not go under the screen. Would be a quick switch too, right? Because a lot of these actions are, are taking like 14 seconds for LeBron to get a switch on the Murray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there are over a dozen screens that LeBron used yesterday where he didn't use them. He just kind of dribbled side to side and said, all right, you know, you go and then come back. We had that one possession where Dwight tried to sit like two or three different pick and rolls where he actually rolled all the way to the rim and then sprinted right back out. Set another one, rolled to the rim, still wasn't used. Part of that is the big man that we have. Part of that is the coverage coverage Denver is running. And part of that is LeBron not taking those threes. So either LeBron needs to take those threes or you need to use some of the tactics we just talked about to counter this, or you just need AD out there so he can pick and pop. One one of those three solutions is what the Lakers need to do 
to have more effectiveness. And then we look at the, the guard screens that we set in game one, they were getting switches. In game two, uh, Denver was hard hedging. And in this was a true hard hedge. It wasn't those catch hedges that we see the Laker bigs do. This was mm-hmm. PJ Dozier actually steps out, goes to LeBron, gets in his face, doesn't let him turn the corner, and then recovers to his guy. Yep. And that gives up those ghost screens where you set a ball screen and then you go uh, slip to a pop instead of to a roll. But KCP and Danny Green, they were too slow with those. So by the time they actually got in position to catch the ball, their defender had recovered and, and they stopped LeBron from turning the corner and we got nothing from it. So we need to be more prepared this game to defend that new way that Denver's covering those uh, inverted, uh, where, where you have a guard setting the screen yeah, for the LeBron. double highs. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, we've seen what they're going to do. We just have to know the right way to attack it. And none of it's all that difficult. They just have to be prepared. And the tough part is IDing it and doing the right thing in the moment. Yeah, so I can only even imagine, too, what our offense would have looked like in the first quarter if LeBron didn't go off. And and this was totally a game of superstars over everything, you know. And we'll talk a little bit about the Lakers' uh, offense down the stretch right here coming up. But first, I, w- I wanted to mention the rebounding advantage that the Lakers used in this game, I think was the sole reason they won. And it's not because we got an offensive rebound on the last shot, which is a big part of that, but over and over the Lakers just using their inherent strength, naturally just being bigger than everyone in their matchup. What as good as LeBron was in the first half on offense, he was bad in, in the second half, but Watching those rebounds again, LeBron was instrumental in us gaining the advantage on defensive rebounds. He had 26.5 defensive rebound percentage when he was on the court, by far the highest in the game. He was putting a body on uh, Mason Plumley. He was putting a body on Paul Millsap, Jokic. He was getting physical, getting tap outs really working to get those extra extra possessions. So Mm -hmm. I came away from the film actually much more okay with LeBron's second half, considering all the other things he did on, on the defensive rebounding end. Yeah. Offensively and defensively, he, he stepped up from a rebounding perspective and something that's another inherent weakness of the Lakers when they do play small is that like Markeith Morris doesn't box out. Uh, A lot of these guards, they're not boxing out. So we saw a couple possessions where, Denver got easy putbacks or easy easy offensive rebounds or sometimes the ball went in, but if the ball didn't go in, they were going to get that board because those guys aren't boxing out, but Dwight will box out, JaVale's going to box out, LeBron's boxing out, and, and the one guy out there in some of these lineups doing so. We need to, more attention to detail with those. Uh, like you said, I, I think LeBron didn't perform the best in the second half yesterday, and that isn't, to me, that's not a coincidence. That's not, oh, you know what, he had a bad half. There were things that Denver did at halftime that tangibly changed the way this game looked and worry me a little bit for next game. Uh, Let me just share that the percentage of the shots that the Lakers took at the rim last game was 40% or above every single quarter. In this game, we were at 52% in the first quarter, 31% in the second quarter, 16% in the third quarter, 15% in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, we had, I think, three shots at the rim and then a bunch of mid-range shots or threes. Um, and, and threes can be good if you're penetrating, collapsing a defense, getting someone open, kicking it out and shooting. They're not as good when they're with one she- second or two seconds or three seconds left on the clock and they're contested. And what Denver had been doing that resulted in that and resulted in LeBron having, I think it was four turnovers in the second half alone. Were And, and then if you look at the nine turnovers LA had, eight of those nine turnovers were from their uh, point guards, Caruso, Rondo and LeBron. The reason for that was Denver, who we know doesn't have great rim protection, what they were doing was they were sending uh, early rotations and they were sending extra help so that if any of these guys did drive, there were multiple guys picking at the ball. So you you couldn't take any of those pull-up shots. It got in their face. They were leaving guys open, but because you're so bothered on ball, you're less able to make those passes. And by having that weak side defender rotate early and get in front of the rim, it might be P.J. Dozier, it might be Monte Morris. They're not looking to block your shot, they're looking to take a charge. And we saw numerous charges taken, and then other times where, like, if on that one possession LeBron didn't slip and turn the ball over, he probably would have committed a charge. 
Um, there were other times where Rajon Rondo needs to make crazy last second passes because he's about to commit a charge. So that early rotation, along with that collapsing defense, makes it, it just a tough situation for LA. And what we saw them do was, you know, they'll make the pass out, but then Denver was able to recover because the Laker players weren't cutting and they weren't screening. It took until there were, I believe, 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter. After all of this had been happening since halftime, 58 seconds left in the fourth quarter was the first time I saw a real, real counter to this, where LeBron made a quick pass out of the pick and roll before he overpenetrated. His overpenetration was the real issue here. Before he overpenetrated, because Dozier started pre-rotating earlier than you normally would want a defender rotating, and the defense was overcommitting, LeBron passed out quickly from that uh, pick and roll. And then we had Alex Caruso setting a flare screen for Danny Green in the corner. So LeBron kicked it out to, I think it was, I don't know, KCP or, or Kuzma or somebody. And then they swung it over. Actually, no, it was KCP. He had Danny Green wide open in the corner because Denver was over committing to that one side of the court and, and pre-rotating. KCP didn't give it to him. He took a, cont- a contested shot instead and missed. But that was the first time all game that we saw LA counter what Denver had been doing. So hopefully they've figured it out. Hopefully they realize that they just need quicker pass outs and some cutting or screening off ball uh, on the weak side to take advantage of this. But if the Lakers don't adjust to this paint packing in a different way, we saw Portland do it one way. We saw Houston do it a different way. This is a, a new different way. If they don't adjust to that, instead of seeing two quarters where, where we're only getting 15% of our shots at the rim, we might see four quarters of that. And if that happens, the Lakers will not win. So yeah. Vogel just needs to be ready to play, ready to adjust. Um, our guys need to execute. It's a similar problem to what we've seen all year and what teams have done to us that we've struggled with. This is the first series in the playoffs where we can't just say, oh, you know what? We're going to play small and that's going to solve this problem because that's what we did against Portland and that's what we did against Houston. Uh, obviously to different percentages of our minutes, but either of those solutions solved that problem. In this series, we saw LA go small and it didn't work offensively. And then we, like we said, defensively, they're getting killed. And on the boards, they're they're performing much, much worse. So there's no work around. We need true X's and O's tactical knowledge and expertise in adjusting to be able to counter this for game three and moving forward. Because Denver's not going to stop doing this until LA shows that they can counter it consistently. If we first play the game, counter it, and then don't do it again, they're not going to stop. Um, so... We need a focused game plan, knowing what they're going to do, knowing how to approach it, making those early passes and having that screening or cutting weak side so that instead of making it an easy scramble rotation, you just have wide open threes. Yeah, to your point, if you want to watch the next game to watch Denver continue this defense, so it's just watch the weak side, watch who's guarding Danny Green and KCP. They're sagging off way more than than they were last game and just clogging up those lanes shading lebron strong side you know and just making them put up shots the lakers shot uh 36 threes this game which is i would say more than they normally take i don't have that number off the top of my head but that's what would be my guess uh and they shot 36 percent, which is pretty good considering they could have been a lot worse uh, and th- that's the margin of the game right there. You know, a couple of those, if KCP doesn't shoot three for five, if he goes two for five, right, we lose. Um, that's where Denver is really going to make the Lakers be a two superstar team. And you can't take out those guys completely, but you can try to contain them and and make everybody else beat you. And it's a cliche but for a reason, because that's, you know, you want Alex Caruso to get up you know, four threes a game. You want Danny Green shooting 10 threes a game at the way he's been shooting. You know, I'm surprised he made three. He's looked terrible uh, from his three-point perspective, but mm-hmm. I will also give him credit that he's been crashing the boards much more efficiently than uh, on offense uh, than he used to. He's been getting involved in other ways where I felt like Danny Green's been missing in this series at times. So he's injected himself into the game in other ways, at least in last game. So we talked about like the Lakers struggles getting to the rim. AD was our offense in the fourth quarter and the second half, really. Right. It was uh, ISOs at the high post against Jokic or getting a switch with Grant trying to get to the rim and get a floater, you know, early offense, get looking for him in some kind of mismatch. But 
he still did all his work in the mid range, you know, to your point, the Lakers weren't attacking the rim even when they had an advantage, you know, so they were settling. It felt like, to be honest, it felt like they got comfortable. Like we got a 16 point lead and they do this thing where every possession runs through the brawn in the fourth and it takes him 14 seconds to get that switch he wants. And then he kind of waits for other people to cut off ball and they're sagging so much. So there's not really any cutting lanes for Caruso or Kuzma or some of those other guys to get any kind of look without it being a spot up. Mm-hmm. So you become overly predictable. And the fact that AD had as good of a game as he did is the reason the Lakers won the game, not only because of the buzzer beater, but because he was their offense and he took some bad shots as well. Bad shots because it's not a team process. It's a superstar. It's a way you can lose in this league against a team defense and a team offense like Denver. So it got hairy there in the fourth. We're happy to pull it out. What are some of the things you think the Lakers will adjust to in their offensive repertoire? Like you can say all the X's and O's you gotta, but you can't just implement a brand new offense overnight, right? What are some of the small principles that they can do? Just like fear Vogel, right? What do you what are you whispering in Kyle Kuzma's ear at the six minute break in the third quarter, being like, hey, you know they're gonna be doing this. Make sure you gotta do this. Yeah, we need to be prepared for a couple things. We know with those inverted pick and rolls, they're going to be giving up that that ghost screen, that pick to a slip. And if they don't, that gives LeBron his his switch. And so run into that and and aim. And if you're Kuzma or you're uh, Caruso or you're Ronda or whoever, run into that anticipating that they're going to switch or anticipating that if they hard hedge, you're going to be wide open for three. Run it. It's like a wide receiver in football. Run the route like you're going to get the ball. Don't just diddle daddle through it. Don't be lazy. Don't hesitate. We don't need to turn it into a 14 seconds of dribbling back and forth and trying to get the right switch. If you run that the right way, you're going to get the switch or you're going to get the three-pointer. So that's one thing. Another thing is knowing that that pre-rotations are coming and the way that the Lakers can approach that without doing anything crazy or new or this is well within what they they can do and have done, just don't do often, is sending a guy from the weak side to cut when you see that the other team is is packing the paint. and Or, or running to go set a screen on a defender who is that packing the paint so he can't recover to his man if the pass goes to his man. That's a really simple, it's called a pin-in flare screen, where you're not really, the, the, the shooter's not moving, the shooter's where he is, you're just standing in the way of his man. So that is another thing because... The more that happens, the more we're going to see charges from LeBron or turnovers from LeBron. And Anthony Davis isn't going to overpenetrate like, like LeBron will, but we're going to see AD live in mid-range if if he sees if he looks up and he sees that much paint packing. He's going to continue taking those mid-range shots, and they're really difficult shots. He hit enough of them, but that is not the way that you want to win or lose the game every single day because there's a little bit more variance there. Ideally, you're mm-hmm. attacking early in the possession and. If you need to get that shot, AD, you can get that shot late possession. But let's try to get open threes or get to the rim earlier on if, if possible. Um, so that's another thing. And just, I don't know, I, using the right pick and roll screeners is the right way to uh, approach things and, and make the most out of JaVale. Like we said, having him weak side instead of on the ball in those pick and rolls. And then the other thing that we had mentioned was that LeBron should anticipate being able to take those threes because the defense is going under him. And if he just spends game three and he takes and makes, you know, I don't know, two of four or three of five of those, that probably changes the way Denver defends him. And that makes life so much easier for him for the rest of the game. So being ready for that, playing to that, we saw the Lakers run a handoff play to try to attack that later in the game, but do that more often, take those in the pick and roll. There are things that Denver's giving us. We are just not recognizing them and we're trying to take something else that isn't available. We're, we're driving up to the Wendy's drive through and demanding a Whopper and they don't have a Whopper and the cars are piling up behind us. People are honking <laughs> their horns. Uh, you, you're getting ready to call the police and then you realize that they don't have the Whopper there. So we just need to take the what, whatever is available and, because Denver is giving us things and we'll, we'll be in much better shape. We, we saw a stubborn 
almost asleep at the wheel from an adjustment standpoint in that second half when there are definitely ways the Lakers can make little simple tweaks and then we go into game three and we blow them out and people are like, oh, Tim, you were overreacting in game two. It'll be because LA makes those right adjustments. We're not sponsored by Burger King for the record. So (laughs) unless they want to give us their money in which we will accept. But if I'm Vogel, you know, in that shift, like I said, I'm telling these guys, look, play fast. We slowed down significantly in the second half. And I think that's where Denver actually gained a lot of their advantage. We got to play more of a half court offense and that's where it becomes superstar ball for us because we're not as since the bubble started. If this was back when the regular season was going, we had little pet plays with the JaVale KCP screen and curl. We had some stuff for KCP, you know, kind of playmaking. We had some little pet plays that, that haven't really been able to find some success here in the playoffs. Maybe it's just the role players not asserting themselves and being as aggressive. You know, I think they're playing well, you know, as a unit and playing together, but you guys got to be a little bit more aggressive, Mm -hmm. except you Kuzma, you need to be smarter. Right. But you guys play fast. That's, that's where you guys get your open looks where you get Kuzma, you know, streaking up the, the left wing for a, a really nice, you know, speed floater, what he's so good at, get him space, get Crusoe, those bald eagle dunks, you know, Mm -hmm. but play faster. Just, we can't, like you said, we can't spend all that time dribbling around to get the one thing we want. And then just for Denver to be pre-rotating and and we don't have any advantage. Right. Um, Yep. So I don't want to get through this without talking about Anthony Davis for at least a small little segment here. We touched on him a little bit just now, but that guy is, incredible in so many different ways and he proved himself to be among the clutch players in the nba not only with that buzzer beater but he put the team on his back in the second half and he was still able to make dude i screenshot that block he got on jamal murray he is even with him and like behind him at the free throw line Mm -hmm. while jamal murray has the ball with like he's his foot already past the free throw line, like one step away from, from rising up and AD blocks it. And it's just absolutely incredible and playing like a defensive player in in an offensive combination. We haven't seen since someone like Kevin Garnett, honestly. Yeah. On that play, it was actually an occurrence where Murray rejected the ball screen. He was supposed to go to his right. He was supposed to go to AD who was sitting there waiting for him, but he went the other way. And in those situations, like I think if you look on Synergy, players probably score like one and a half points per possession when they reject ball screens because if they do, there's going to be no hedge there. But AD just has the athleticism to be able to recover and the length to contest that. And we saw Jokic push him around a little bit, but this is a guy who any player on this Denver team, he should be able to defend on ball. He should be able to defend off ball actions, which is something that like Plumlee, or Jokic, like they're not defending flare screens. We're seeing AD, if, if LA runs, keeps running these little plays, they're going to be able to get AD open. We saw in that last play, there was obviously a miscommunication, but just little things like that where Jokic isn't going to be able to get out and recover to those sorts of situations. Um, AD just is just fantastic. He, LA got really, lucky is not the right word, but there, were, there have been times over the past couple of years where we've wanted a second guy or we've wanted a superstar. But like Paul George isn't making these plays. If you look yeah. at just the way he plays versus the way AD plays, AD is just, he's such a superstar in his own respect, but complimenting LeBron is really where you have that synergy. And, and it's just been beautiful to watch. And a, a cool thing that I saw tweeted out was if you look at uh, in Predictable, who we've referenced a couple of times around like win probabilities, they track the shots that are taken towards the end of games in the top 1% of it would have swung the the win probability of a game one way or the other. So it, it's not some weird, like only five seconds left in the game or right. only seconds or whatever. It's tied, it's so it doesn't matter. Yeah, the most important shots, the clutch yeah. of shots, um, accounting for all the variables and everything. If you look at the players who have taken those shots over the past, I think it was five years, it might have been 10 years, AD is by far, he has by far been the most efficient player in those situations. And... Uh, it, all the way at the bottom, one of the least efficient guys was actually Paul George. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, catching strays, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. Although, like, some of these like things on like uh, Snapchat or Instagram that that the Clippers guys are doing is come on, like you, you lost. Stop talking about it. Or or, uh, oh, or or the Rockets. No, no, PJ Tucker saying I would have blocked AD shot. Come on, man. You guys lost in five games. <laughs> My goodness, it's yeah. We're we're so lucky to have AD. We wouldn't have won this game without him. Um, just the the fact that a lot of the shots that he likes to take are the shots that you are given at the end of games. I think bodes well for him in those clutch situations because that's just that's what he does. Uh, obviously, you'd love to see him be more aggressive, yada yada. But he's he's taking the shots that he's comfortable taking. They care. He carried the Lakers through that third quarter. Um, he started a little bit slow, and we saw LeBron carry the Lakers early in the game. These two guys working together offensively and defensively are just carrying this team. And, and on a team that doesn't have a lot of playmakers, it doesn't have a lot of guys who are going to attack and, and create or score off of a, a bad closeout. They they really have been kind of carrying things. And it's been really cool to see them work together and, and just, I don't know, man, just enjoy, what is it, six games left until a title if we get there? I know, six um, wins. It's crazy. Wins. Like this was one of uh, as soon as the shot went in, like so many emotions, but at the same time, I was like, wow, like cherish this moment right now because right. we're only going to get a handful of these, even if things go yes. perfectly well. And how many of them are going to be buzzer beaters? Like this is a shot that will be remembered. And we as fans are going to remember for a long time. He's like that, right? That's the point. He made that statement. He's like that. I love it. And I would love nothing more seriously in the world than Anthony Davis putting the Lakers on his back to win a championship. And LeBron, of course, is, you know, a giant reason. But if Anthony Davis plays like a one over the next six wins and puts the team on his back and really just shuts everybody up as to say, I, I do, I've been the biggest Anthony Davis fan since he came in the league. I don't know if you were in the league with me, but I've drafted him number like first round his rookie year. I think like I'm so, I've been so high on that guy. I've always loved him. And of course it's like, yeah, fucking you're a genius Tom for liking Anthony Davis, but no, really I've always been in that dude's camp. And the fact that he's a Los Angeles Laker is a dream. And I highly recommend having him on your team. So, it's, you know, as they, as they say on Twitter, fuck them kids. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and speaking of kids, like 80s, not all that old. He, he, no, if he he's resigned, 25, 26. He's, oh he's the God. future. He's the he, ridiculous. number one now. Oh, that, that makes me feel really good as a Laker fan about the, the future of this team. Because, I mean, LeBron is still a top, top caliber guy. But if we have a second one of those, that's like truly that, not just, you know, really, really, really good alongside LeBron. If he can be carrying the team in those non-LeBron minutes and making all these plays on offense and defense, like we're locking in for a while, one of the top five guys out there. Just incredible. Top 10, yeah. top 10. Hey, depending on situation, everything, you can be higher or lower. But uh, if he wins the championship, you damn well better be top five. I'll say top five impact. I think there are guys who are more perhaps talented on the offensive end, but he, he's a top 10 guy on offense and a top three guy, a top two, top one guy on defense. So overall, he's going to give you top five impact. And that's what we're seeing with his uh, player impact plus minus thus far. LeBron and AD are far and ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Um, it's just true, true dominance. It's, it's some Shaq Kobe type stuff. Well, and Anthony Davis is, you know, starting to get to wrap up here, but Anthony Davis is the problem that you don't have an answer for. If you're literally any other team that's left in the playoffs, yep. you know, LeBron is always a problem. And even at his age, he's going to outsmart you and just beat you with methodical tactics and, and his physical gifts when he can get that up. Right. But Anthony Davis is the guy that there's no math problem for. There's just, okay, you can, run all this LeBron stuff on offense and Anthony Davis can beat you on the offensive glass. You don't even run a play for him. He impacts the game in so many ways. If you watch him, like seriously watch Anthony Davis for like five straight possessions on offense and defense. And, and it's just remarkable the things this guy does. And every time he falls down, I, I die a little on the inside, I think as all the Laker fans do, because we cherish him, but still you see why he's getting, contact from people he's in their way he's going up over the top of them they're trying to get you know they're trying not to get their their lunch eaten by anthony davis and he's just out there just so casually dominating it's like it's domination 
in a different way than Shaq, but I think it's domination nonetheless, you right. know? But but so, there, there will be times in the series, though, that he's taking t- tough shots even for him. And, and like, yes. we'll see some of the shots he takes where it's like, okay, that is a move he practices and that's the fadeaway that he's looking to get. It, it, like, like those Dirk shots. Like, that's a right. really tough shot, but that's your shot. And then there were some that's a practice shot. Like, contorting his body. He's in between two guys and it's like, man, we maybe should have passed out there or the Lakers should be using yeah. like cutting and screening to make your life easier. But he's, he's really carrying that load and taking some of those really, really difficult shots. Um, I, I mean, as like a X's, X's and O's guys, I'd love to see uh, LA do a little bit better job of making life easier for him. But he's nonetheless been able to just be an incredible shot maker. And I wouldn't be too surprised if we were to look at like second spectrum data and look at the shot quality versus shot making and see that there may have been some games along this path that the Lakers have won because of that elite shot making, not necessarily because they created the the highest quality looks. So I'm trying to pull up the odds here right now, but okay. So it's game three. It's Lakers minus seven. Who do you got? Man, I, I mean, my heart says Lakers, but there are a lot of issues that we need to address that we only saw one half of instead of a full game of. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't want to provide gambling advice on this podcast, but I, I think <laughs> Denver plus seven might have some sort of value. But if, if the Lakers win the right adjustments, they'll blow this one out. But I know that they've struggled to make these adjustments. So my what I'm anticipating is a tight game. So you still picking a Lakers sweep though? I, I'm feeling more like Lakers in five than I was mm. before the last game that we just won because of what we saw. But if we make the right adjustments or have more incredible shot making, it, it could be Lakers in four. This might have um, been that one game, right? This like there is a non-zero chance that was this one game. Yeah. Yep. I think by the first quarter, by the by, like mid first quarter next game, we'll have an idea of one is Dwight starting. Two, how are we attacking the way they're loading up the paint? Um, three, what are we doing with those pick and rolls? And four, oh man, there was a fourth adjustment that we talked about. I don't remember, but by by mid first quarter, I feel like I'll have a pretty good feel for for how the rest of the game might go, just based on if LA came with the right adjustments in hand or if not. Because if they're not adjusting off the bat after having a day off to to figure it out, they're probably not going to adjust in the second or third or fourth quarters. Um, mm-hmm. so that is, I'll be very nervous for the first couple minutes of the game. And then after that, either feel in panic mode and, and I'll be tweeting out, you know, get me my Whopper in all capital letters, um, <laughs> a link to the analogy from before or, uh, or feel pretty good about the game. Well, follow, uh, follow Tim, AKA Crunchy Smith basketball at Tim underscore NBA. You dropped the one. I was happy to see that. That was always kind of a clunky way to describe it. Tim underscore NBA. I'm at creative destroyer. Uh, yeah, please subscribe, share, enjoy this podcast and add us to talk more. We're on Lakers Twitter constantly. So go Lakers. I also think they will win game three. I would probably pick Denver plus seven because the adjustments in this third game of a series are always that that mountain or molehill, you know? This is the swing game. It can either be a series at 2-1 or it can't be. So <laughs> go Lakers, and we'll, uh, we'll come back to you guys soon. Talk to you later. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.